We need to pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you for some time to come in and study your word, Father, off to an obviously rocky start. And Father, I just ask for your blessing here. Um, Father, regardless of what I have written down in my notes, Father, you have a word for your people today. We believe that. Uh, we trust it, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Got notes. We're going to be able to, to do this. If you have your Bibles today, um, or if you don't, then there's one underneath the uh, there or your, uh, under your rows. There should be Bibles there, or you can pull it up on your notes app, any of that kind of stuff. I mentioned on that uh, QR code on, the, on there, you should have the ability to do some sermon notes on there as well. You can keep notes. We always say note takers get the uh, best seats in heaven. So uh, if you want to take notes on there, there's an opportunity to email those to yourself as well. Early 20th century evangelist Vance Havner once said, man, we are off to a start. I know you guys are really excited when the pastor says we have a good message this morning when you start out with a quote from the 1920s, right? That's always what you're looking for. Uh, we got some edgy preaching happening here uh, this morning. Vance Havner is actually a fascinating story. He's a person who started his public ministry at the age of 10, just decided he was going to start preaching at the age of 10. Uh, back in the early 1900s. And he was once quoted as saying, we will move this world not by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by combustion within it of, the li of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. Man, baby preacher from 100 years ago was bringing it a lot better than I am so far this morning. But uh, Vance Havner had it right. As followers of Jesus, we are constantly hit right in the face with uh, living in this very sinful world and wanting to see a movement of God. And what Vance is telling us there is it's not going to happen just by complaining about it. It's by complaining about a movement not happening. It's not going to happen by criticizing the world that we live in or the people in the world. It's going to happen individually. It's going to take place by igniting lives by the Holy Spirit, individual lives by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God says the same exact thing in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. It says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by anything that we can do. It's all going to be based off of the Spirit of God. I've grown up in church. I got saved when I was 12 years old after a vacation Bible school. Woo-woo, vacation Bible school. Um, and uh, my family was one that we were at church basically every time the doors were open. We were one of those families. And that's something that I'm not talking bad because I've emulated that with my own family as I've become an adult. We've been, as an adult, we bring our kids to church every time the doors are open. And now we are starting a church as well. So we just, you know, we're just at church all the time. But what a lifetime in church will tell you, like some, you pick things up, especially as a kid. Kids are watching. I always think about that as we are in the very early stages here of this church plant, that kids are watching how we're doing things, how we're communicating with each other, what, what's being set up here, and then what's, like, happening out there. You know what I mean? Kids are, are, have a key eye into that. And so growing up in the church, I got to see that myself. And there were a few things. We're not going to go into uh, my, my history as a kid and growing up in church. But what I will say is when you grow up in church, there's one thing that you always hear, like, you heard it in the, in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, 80s, 90s. It's still happening today, and that is that pastors, preachers stand at the pulpit, and they look for revival, right? 
They always are looking for revival within their own congregations, within their cities, within their states, within their country, and in the world. For generations, we have had pastors looking for revival, that moving of the spirit within their sphere. You see that all the time. And the, let's see, I want to, I ha, Heidi, can you come up here and help me real quick? I, this is, I don't have enough hands, because like I, I wanted to show you something here. Um, the answer to having revival in all of these different areas is not necessarily like something that that you can do it's more about what you can be it's something that you can be because um this world very much is is a square peg right and revival or excuse me is a square hole let's let's get this right square hole hole that's a hole square hole (laughs) and revival is a round peg right and so, Heidi, can you try to put the square hole through the round peg? You can't, unless you forced it and totally ripped up the paper, you can't put, see, Vanna here. Thank you. Thank you, Vanna. You can't, you can't fit a round peg through a square hole. Whereas if you were to, uh, no matter how much you try to force it, no matter how much you try to change the world by complaining about it or fighting about it or changing laws or arguing on Capitol Hill or doing whatever you want to do to try to change the world as a whole, it's not going to happen. You can't force it to happen. The only thing that can happen is that individuals within the world start to just sort of take away some of those, I think I can do this, some of those rough edges, if you know what I mean, some of the rough edges, and you just start to change change the world from within the world, and then the rough edges are kind of away, and let's see if this works, and then maybe it might be able to fit if you're going to rip rip the paper. Don't force it. The rip, the, the edges there. It, it worked four times when we practiced it before, but now it's, now it's working. Thank you. Thank you, Vanna. Thank you. Will you help me with this table real quick? But that's the point that uh, old baby preacher Vance and uh, the word of God tells us is that the only time that revival is going to happen is when the spirit moves in individual people and it changes people from within, that combustion from within. What we're going to talk about today is the very first spirit-led revival, the very first coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Christian church, this is the day that, the day that we're about to read about is, is celebrated as Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit came as the Father promised. In biblical times, this was a day that was celebrated 50 days after the start of Passover. 50, penta means 50, 50 days after the start of Passover is when this particular day was celebrated. So as we're about to read on the very first day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, they're celebrating a harvest meant to give thanks for the wheat, the first fruits of the wheat harvest, one of two huge, a wheat and a barley harvest. Those were big things here in biblical times. And so this is one of two huge ceremonies that they were already celebrating and already together to do. Traditionally, the day that Pentecost is celebrated even today is exactly seven weeks from Easter Sunday. Check's watch. Hey, look at that. It's exactly seven weeks 
uh, since Easter Sunday. Happy Pentecost, people. I didn't, if you didn't know, today is Pentecost. Happy Pentecost. It's a day where we celebrate as a church, where we celebrate God fulfilling his promises to us, his promise to send the helper after Jesus left this earth. It's also a day that we really can look back on. Like we talk about our launch date, January 23rd, 2022. That's our launch date for Freedom Church. This original day is the launch date. This is this is a celebration of the launch date of the church, capital C church, um, as we know it in our world today. So as we're reading today about the day of Pentecost, hey, today happens to be Pentecost. Look how that worked out. I wonder how that worked out. It's just sort of amazing how that worked out, right? So we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Last week we read the first couple of verses. I'll just reread them real quickly here for you. It says, uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What happens from there is that they all begin to speak in different tongues. Now, we can spend a whole lot of church services, and there have been a whole lot of church services that have been spent talking about the gift of speaking in tongues. That's not really the lesson that we're going to be learning about today. But they started speaking in tongues and different languages. And because Jerusalem was filled with people because of that that wheat festival that I mentioned before, there were a whole lot of people that were in town listening, and all of a sudden, these 120 people who were waiting in the upper room, who, got, who were followers of Jesus Christ, who Jesus said to wait until the Holy Spirit came, they started hearing all 120 people start speaking in languages that either they didn't understand because they were heavenly languages, or, again, Jerusalem being this this town where you would go from a festival, so you'd come from far and wide, and you would have people who spoke very different languages than what was spoke there. All of a sudden, they started hearing people praising the Lord in their native language, and they were like, what is happening here? We weren't expecting that. And so all these different areas and all these different people started hearing these heavenly words coming from this small group of people. So thousands of people are being brought in to hear what's happening as the Holy Spirit is moving that initial time, right? And even some of them kind of snickered, kind of made fun of the apostles and the leaders and the disciples, uh, said that they were drunk. Maybe they were just, you know, hitting it back a little bit so much so that Peter had to stand up and be like, Peter stands up and he, he, he says, no, they're not drunk. Dude, it's 9 o'clock. That's literally what he says uh, in verse, I think it was 15. He says, it's barely 9 a.m. They're not drunk. This is a moving of the Holy Spirit as God promised, as God prophesies. This is what's happening here. And so he explains what happened. And what we're going to pick it up here is in verse 22 where, where Peter continues to explain what is happening here and why it's so important and is really the very first preaching that happens in the history of the church. That's what we're going to pick up here. So in reverence for the word of God this morning, if you can, would you please stand with me as we read our portion of scripture, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. We'll have them on the screens as well. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. 
God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at the right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for all your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord your God calls to himself. And with many words he bore witness and continued to exhort and saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their num number, day by day, those who were being saved. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. You may be seated. I'm calling this morning's message, Tap In. Tap In. The phrase tap in has multiple uses in our lexicon as we use it. We use tap in to speak to that uh, last few centimeters, inches on that putt where you just got to tap it in, tap, tap, tap it in into the hole, right? Just that little tap in that you have there. We also use it uh, in uh, wrestling when you're having a tag team match and you just got to tap in your partner so they can go do the flying elbow off the top rope or whatever they, they need to do. Um, specifically today, though, I want to use, when I, when I say the phrase tap in, I want to speak more to using it about tapping into a source. You tap a valve or a spigot in a pipe, into a pipe, and that's how you get water to flow through, right? You tap an IV into your arm, and it gives you medicine or treatment in a hospital, right? When you're on a college campus and you're trying to, to fit in, an advisor will tell you, you need to really tap into the networking and the clubs that are available so that you can really feel what it's like to be a sun devil 
or a wildcat or for our sending church back in Alabama, a crimson titer, just titer, elephant. I don't know what they are over there. It's really weird. We'll have to ask Kat after service um, today. But to, to really tap in and be a part of the culture, really get into the networking, that's, that's the idea that I want to talk about. And tap in, as in tap into the moving of the Holy Spirit and let him guide your life. That's what Peter is doing here as we pick up this message. Peter is fully tapped in, fully tapped in. A couple things that it's important to remember as context for Peter as we jump in here. Number one, Peter is the apostle that never had the right thing to say. He was the apostle that was always sticking his foot in his mouth. He was always saying things that weren't appropriate at the time. Some of us can relate, right? We always have that. that there's always that guy, right? Um, but he's always saying the exact wrong thing at the exact wrong time. So much so that Jesus himself once said directly to Peter's face, get behind me, Satan. If Jesus is going to say that directly to your face like that, you messed up, dude. You said some wrong, some wrong things, right? Peter is the guy who always says the wrong things. Yet, now, as we just read, he addresses thousands of people in a way that is clear, succinct, and effective. So that's one. Number two, this is the same guy that barely more than a month ago was cowering in fear as a child simply mentioned that he knew who Jesus was. This is barely more than a month ago. This is the same guy who is now standing up boldly speaking in front of thousands and even at some point, multiple points, rebukes them. This Jesus we're talking about, you guys crucified him. You guys messed up. Like even rebukes the people when a little more than a month ago he was cowering in fear of a child, right? Peter is absolutely tapped in to the Holy Spirit and the results are 3,000 people are saved in one day, according to verse 41 that we just read. And even more than that, it's the starting point of which verse 47 tells us that they added more people saved daily. More souls were saved daily. So Peter is the vessel that God is using, that the Holy Spirit is using to do an amazing, amazing work. And the only way based on Peter's past, is that he is fully tapped in to the Holy Spirit. So I'd like to break down the message this morning for the remainder of our time this morning. I want to break down the message that Peter is giving. I want to look at Peter's message and see the sort of how he is tapped into the Holy Spirit and what he uses, what he talks about as he goes, so that we can potentially emulate this as we talk to our own families, our own friends, our neighbors about Jesus, so that we can attempt to potentially have the same results, right? The, the, the whole goal is to see people saved. So, first thing, number one, he keeps it about Jesus. He keeps the conversation about Jesus. Verse 22 says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in, his, in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. 
God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I love that little last, this is, this doesn't, we're not talking about Peter here for just a second, but that last little phrase, he loosened the pangs of death because he could not be held by it. This is this idea of um, pangs, birth pangs, right? And the idea that death is sort of the same thing. Jesus could not be held by death any more than a baby is not going to come when it's time to come, right? You women can't hold it in, right? I know first-time moms, sometimes you get a little nervous about, hey, it's, it's happening. It's happening, right? That's usually, that's like a mom, that's a strictly mom thing, right? Not mom as in the woman who's having the baby, but that person's mom, like you always need your mom around to be like, hey, it's happening. We need to get ourselves ready because it's happening. The baby is coming, and that's the same thing. No more than you can keep a baby in the birth canal could death hold Jesus down? That is, what, that is what Peter is saying here. In just these three verses that I just reread for you, verses 22, 23, and 24, Peter summarizes the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. Quickly, succinctly, effectively, Peter gives the best message that we can give people to understand who Jesus is. We started off um, on our launch by, by doing a nine-week study on who Jesus is. We didn't do it as succinctly as Peter does here in just 30 seconds and three verses for who he is. But I highlight this for two reasons. Number one, to show how simple it is to introduce someone to Jesus, how simple it can be. We often feel like we have to have this long, drawn-out explanation of Jesus that takes into account, like, our relationship with him, everything that we've been through, right? If, you, if you've been saved, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've been going on this road, this journey that is a, a faith-filled life where you're trying to serve God and you're trying to glorify God and you're trying to make Jesus known to people and you're trying to build community and you're trying to disciple community and you're trying to do all the things that it means in the life with Jesus— you're going to have some stories, right? There's a, lot of, there's a lot that goes into that, right? There's a lot of depth in conversation that happens. And sometimes we feel like when we need to tell somebody about Jesus, we need to cover all of that. <laughs> and it becomes very convoluted and it becomes scary because some of that stuff is deep and personal. And, and maybe I don't want to go there because I only went there once. I went there with Jesus and I don't want to go back there again, right? But it doesn't have to be all of that. It can be very simple. It can be that Jesus lived, he died for us, and that he rose from the dead, right? He rose from the dead. And in the context of this, uh, oh, wait, I want to make sure I got this right. Any other notes on that? Nope, I think that's good. Number two, the second thing, the second reason I wanted to bring this up, number one was to show how simple it is to introduce Jesus to somebody. But the second thing is the best way to help someone come to faith and salvation is to keep the conversation about Jesus. I mentioned a second ago, this is not a lesson about speaking in tongues or even the gifts of the Spirit. And those are important things to talk about. And at some point, we will get to them, probably when we study the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul goes over those things a lot in the book of 1 Corinthians. But miracles, gifts of the Spirit, are things that happen to people, right? And Anything that is based off of people and not based off of Jesus can be picked apart, right? 
And so even Peter here, where there's this amazing movement of the Holy Spirit that's happening, where people are coming and they're speaking languages that they don't know or that other people don't know, but it's drawing people in. Other people are interpreting what they're saying, and it's meaning something to them. And people are coming, and they're like, this is amazing movement of God. Peter, how he handles it when he's teaching these people, he quickly says, yeah, this is happening because of the Holy Spirit, and then he transitions to Jesus right away. He doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about the movement and the intricacies of the Holy Spirit and how these, this person is saying this and it sounds like this and he stands up and does that. We're going to transition it over to Jesus. Why? Why does he do that? Because people can be picked apart. People can be picked apart. Jesus cannot be picked apart. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christo, the singular man who thousands of years before his birth, every major event that we know of pointed towards his coming, and who thousands of years later, the entire world as we know it today, this country and otherwise, was completely shaped by him coming and dying on this earth. Jesus Christ, thousands of years before, thousands of years after. You don't think people have had the chance to pick him apart? You've tried, but you can't. Not his message, not what he certifiably did on this earth, not the hundreds of people who saw and witnessed him come back to life and decided to carry his message, what we're talking about here, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Jesus cannot be picked apart. People can. but So when we're talking to people about Jesus, let's keep it about Jesus, Right? Let's not, let's not try to speak so much because sometimes in this, this is easy to do. Come check out my church. Why? Well, we do lots of stuff. We had a lot of fun. There was a delicious dip last week, right? We had a lot of fun. We talked. People shared. We grew together in our knowledge. Everybody got an opportunity to speak. That was really, that was really fun. Yeah, that's great. I want to come from the dip, but the dip's no good this week. The dip kind of was not great. It was not your best Thing. And maybe this time, like, I didn't get an opportunity to share, or, or maybe I didn't get it, I didn't feel like, I, I didn't just feel it that day. Well, that's because we're just people coming together. But it's all about Jesus. No, come to my church. Why? Because we talk about Jesus. Because when you come to my church, you're going to hear about Jesus and what he can do in and through you. That's the why. I mean, all that stuff is good, but when you're talking specifically about somebody helping them come to know who Jesus is, Let's keep it about Jesus, right? All right, number two. Oh, I had this because I'm not the singer. Obviously, there are other singers in my family, as you can see. But on Jesus Christ, the solid rock I stand, right? All other ground, shifting sand, right? Number two, he is scripture-centric. Speaking of Peter, he is scripture-centric. Verses 25 through 28 Peter quotes Psalm, word for word, Psalm 16. Peter quotes from memory because it doesn't say that Peter pulled out. He's so much better than me. He didn't need his notes to load on his stupid iPad, right? He, doesn't, he didn't pull out this enormous scroll and pull it out so that he could read from Psalm, from Psalm chapter 16. No, he quotes from memory Psalm 16. First, and this is, this, is no, this is no small thing, 
I, I want to point out two things here about this particular thing, that he keeps it scripture-centric. And, and the first thing is, it's really no small thing. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but it's definitely no small thing. And that is, sometimes followers of Jesus have gotten themselves into trouble over the years with not keeping themselves scripture-centric, right? That they would say that, um, well, I'll make a statement here, and again, we'll, we'll start to move on here. If your moving of the Holy Spirit is not within the context of Scripture, I just, in the most empathy that I have to say to you, it's probably not a moving of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to discourage anybody in that. I don't want to try to make anybody feel bad about that. But if you're moving of the Holy Spirit is not within the context of Scripture, then it's probably not a moving of the Holy Spirit. For example, if I was praying, and then all of a sudden I just turned into the Incredible Hulk, big muscles, eight feet tall, giant person, and I was like, see, like I was praying, and I turned into the Incredible Hulk. That must be a movement of the Spirit. I would need people to come to me and be like, dude, I think you were just, like, stuck your foot in some gamma rays or something. Like, you're just looking green. Like, I don't know that that's the Holy Spirit. You probably need to go get that checked out is really what you need to do there. It needs to be within the context of the Holy, of the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit movements, any Holy Spirit movements need to be within the context of what the Word of God tells us. But also, and again, I just want to point out, Peter here quoting scripture it's Peter himself we read this and we say yeah of course Peter is quoting scripture like he's Peter he is we've given him saintly status in some some sects of our religion he is Saint Peter the scripture says it's on this rock that I will build my church some people mistakenly think that means it's Peter himself that he will um, build his church on, but actually it was what Peter had said that, that Jesus was referring to. But he's a Peter. He's a big deal, right? We talked last week that Peter and John, they're kind of the two bigger disciples, not bigger necessarily in Wasteland, although John will tell you because he'll beat Peter in any race. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? John will tell you Peter probably could lose a few LBs if he wants to keep up with them, right? But John and Peter, some of you think that's really funny. Some of you just like I don't get it. But anyways, we're going to move right past it. Uh, Peter and John, these are some of the, they've taken leadership roles. Let's put it that way, within the apostles of Jesus. And so we see Peter quoting scripture word for word from memory. And we say, of course, that St. Peter, we have glass statues to him in Rome. Of course he did, but not then. Not then. He wasn't St. Peter then. He was just Peter the fisherman. He was just Peter the layman. He was just a dude who decided one day that he was going to spend every day with Jesus. That was it. That was his single classification for being able to stand up and quote scripture to the people because he decided, he made the decision one day that he was going to throw aside his notes and his nets and he was going to become fishers of men and he was going to, I make the decision, I'm going to spend time with Jesus every day. He didn't go to seminary. <laughs> he didn't go to Bible college. He didn't go get a bunch of plaques so that he could quote scripture he simply decided today's the day i'm going to start spending time with jesus every single day one of the best things about jesus is that we have a direct link to him we don't need to go through another person to get to jesus that's the beauty of 
the Holy Spirit. We can spend time with him daily. We can read from his scriptures. You don't have to be a pastor to share the scriptures. God is looking to change your life now and use you for his kingdom. A couple more. Number three, he is relatable to his audience. He is relatable to his audience. In verses 29 through 36, Peter uses King David as an analogy of Jesus. We all do it. All us preachers, we do it. Jesus is a, or David is a perfect example, a great Old Testament analogy to who Jesus Christ is. Every preacher you ever hear talks about King David will always make the analogy to Jesus, and Peter's doing it here as well. But this to his audience that he's speaking to even meant more. These Jewish people who came together from all different regions when they heard the name King David, this meant much to them because this was the patriarch of their society. This meant a whole bunch to the people who he was speaking to in this initial audience. So he found a connecting point, and then he turns that and says, even King David prophesied about this Jesus that was going to come through his bloodline. Even King David knew that he while King David, as great as we hold him up, is dead and in the ground and in the tomb, is what Peter talked about. Jesus, whom he spoke of, who he prophesied of, ascended to heaven, of which we are all witnesses, is what Peter did. So he found that connection point, and the result, the result, verse 37, was it cut to their heart, is what it says. It cut to their heart. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, for the word of God is a living is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the how the world like sinks the how you get the word to sink into somebody's soul. You have to do a little nick. You have to cut into the heart, where people are able to have that aha moment, where it goes more from just seeing the word of God on a page to actually feeling the word of God in your heart and in your soul. It is the absolute um, goal of any time you share the word of God with people is to be able to get to a point where it cuts to their heart. And you might say, well, there it is. Know your audience, relate to your audience. That's the point where I don't like to talk to people, don't know people. I got my own friends. I'm not out here making new friends. That's where I know that God hasn't called me to talk to people about Jesus because I can't relate to people. That's too hard. How do I find that connection? To which I would say that the principle of sowing and reaping really comes into play here. John chapter 4, Jesus tells his followers that some of you are meant to just plant a seed with people. Just talk about Jesus, what you know about Jesus. And some of you are meant to harvest, to reap that seed. You are the ones that I'll have you come along later, and then you'll say something, and that will cut to the heart. It'll be an aha moment, and you'll be the one that will be able to lead somebody to salvation. So you don't have to put as much pressure on it. From, from that principle of sowing and reaping to also just, I can't tell you how many times I hear from people. This is just my experience. There's really, there's really few things that, like, 
are proof of being tapped into the Holy Spirit than what we're talking about right here, relating to the audience, having an opportunity, an inroad with somebody where what you're saying really means something to them than this, what we're talking about right here. There's so many times where our people will come to me after a message. They'll come to me after I, we post something or we talk about something, and they'll be like, They'll be like, man, God really spoke to me through what you said. And then they'll explain to me how God spoke to them. And it's not anywhere close to what I was, the point that I was trying to make. Like I was going off here and they took like one or two of the words and they were like, God really spoke to me about it. And it helped me and it healed me. And I'm like, that's great. That's why I always say the Holy Spirit is a teacher, not me. I'm just saying the words essentially. But that's, that's being tapped in to the Holy Spirit. Relate, leave God to that. Don't be worried about that. Just You just do it. You just go out there in faith. You talk to somebody about Jesus, let, let God deal with making those connections. Last one. There is a simple response. Verse 37, it says that the people heard all of this. They were cut to their heart, and they asked, brothers, what shall we do next? What do I need to do to accept this Jesus in to their heart. And I can only imagine on the inside, Peter, because any preacher who's like, hey, preacher, what do I, this is like, hey, anybody want to raise your hand and accept Jesus? And like 3,000 people raised their hand. Like I couldn't contain the excitement in my heart. And that's, I, I just have to tell there is nothing more exciting than leading somebody to know Jesus Christ. Guys, I, the first time I did it, I was like 15 years old and I decided I'm going to dedicate my life to that. Here I am. 20 years later, and I'm still still trying to do that because there is nothing greater than leading somebody, than having some, being able to stop with somebody and see in their eyes that they feel love and acceptance and salvation and hope like they never had before in their lives, where they, it clicks for them and they can feel the love of Jesus Christ in there. There is nothing better than being able to be a helper to get people there, and I've dedicated my life just to do that right there. And I can only imagine what Peter is thinking when they all look at him and say, so, so what do we got to do to get Jesus? And Peter's just like, oh yeah, but he keeps it really, really simple. <laughs> as a pastor, as a leader, as somebody who tries to get people to have this experience themselves, sometimes we can get this really convoluted and he keeps it simple. Very, very simple response. He just basically says, repent and be baptized. Receive the Holy Spirit. Repent. Change. Change what you're doing. And Heidi, you can, and Addie, you can make your way up here as we close this down. Repent and be baptized. Be forgiven and receive the Holy Spirit. You want to be saved? You want to know who Jesus is? You want to feel him in your life? Repent. Stop what you're doing. Admit that you've done wrong, humble yourself to that. Ask for God's forgiveness. Receive the Holy Spirit, and then get baptized to show the world what you've done. That same very simple thing, that same very simple message is available to us even today. Peter, as we start to close this down, goes on to talk about here at the last, we read them before, I'm not going to reread them, but uh, those last few moments, those last few things, Peter talks about changing up the trajectory of your life. 
and even the generations around you as a result of this decision that you make for Christ. It's, it's you're going one way, God gets you and turns you the opposite way. In a few weeks, we're gonna talk about Paul, and that's what Paul did. Paul was going one way in a way to persecute Christians, and Jesus grabbed a hold of him and literally knocked him off a horse because it changed the trajectory of his life based on what he was doing. That's always available to us as well. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. That trajectory is available for us to change as well. As we close here, what I'll ask you to do is to stand. These lovely Kabani women are going to lead us in one final song here. I'm gonna be down here at the end. This is our pulpit. It's got butterflies on it. We're in a school. We're just, we put it together, but right now it's anointed and blessed by God as our pulpit. If you wanna come down and pray at the pulpit, either with me or just by yourself or in your, in your seats, if you wanna know who Jesus is, I'd love to pray with you and for you this morning. But we wanna give some altar time as we close down our message this morning.